Welcome in, friends, to the Fantasy Pros Dynasty Baseball Podcast right here on Fantasy Pros and the Leading Off Baseball Feed. I'm your host, Chris Welsh, who you can find on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh. We continue our Dynasty Baseball series, obviously, the Dynasty Baseball Podcast. Today, we're talking about who we're selling. Last week, we had Tim Kanak on talking about Dynasty Buys. This week, Jesse Roach from Baseball Prospectus is going to be joining us to talk about the Dynasty Sells. Go by position, top players that he is looking at selling overall. So we're playing a little bit of the negative side today, though though there are some Dynasty Buys also kind of sprinkled into the conversation. Thank you guys all for your awesome Dynasty support here for Fantasy Pros. So make sure that you guys subscribe to the podcast and check out all the great features. Baseball is going to be hitting hard in 2024. Many may have already heard, but Fantasy Pros has brought me on full-time. I am full-time Fantasy Pros, and you know what comes with that? Lots and lots of baseball talk. So we're going to have a great 2024 with all the redraft and continuation of more Dynasty conversations. When you sign up on the premium side of Fantasy Pros, you can get into the Discord. we got lots of rooms in there. We'll have some interactions. We may even have some Dynasty Discord only shows. There's a whole lot of other reasons. So go to fantasypros.com right now. You can check out how you can get access and you can check out all the other great features. Let's not wait anymore. My friend Jesse Roach from Baseball Prospectus joining us to talk about all these dynasty cells. So let's go do it. Joining me here on the Fantasy Pros Dynasty Baseball Podcast is Jesse Roach, who you can find as a writer and rank over at Baseball Perspectives. I have known Jesse for quite some time, done lots of episodes, and that is why we have got him not only on the dynasties, but the cells. Dynasty cells, because Jesse is not afraid to tell you how it is. This <laughs> is a difficult subject, Jesse. Uh, so, yep. I'll even tell you this. I was, I won't tell you all the details, but... I was perusing some content, kind of figuring out maybe in a certain place that we know. And I was looking, hey, what did well last year? What did uh, poorly? And the poor was focusing on the negative. The negative stuff didn't do as well as some of the positive stuff from a content perspective. But you do need to have the conversation. And what a better conversation to have than digging in on dynasty cells here. So I didn't even get to give you a proper introduction. Just up, buddy. <laughs> hey, it's great to be on. Uh, I love talking cells. I think a lot of people who know me uh, in the industry understand that I am not afraid to be a Debbie Downer with players. <laughs> I, I often will throw cold water because there's just so much hype in our, in our space. Uh, I, that's like all we see just about. So I like to throw cold water on players uh, I guess the expectations that people have at least for players as much as possible, because we have to be realistic. I think yeah, yeah. I, I presume, I don't know whether you are or not, but if you were a gambler, I presume you would be someone that would find some good unders. You'd be betting some unders. You could, you would be able to identify the, like Andrew Erickson here at fantasy pros, you'd be able to identify some unders, but you're right in the dynasty space. The cells are so important. I think more important than in redraft, like, Yep. Redraft is fun and, and taking advantage. I think buys are more important in redraft, but you know, when you can get out, it's great. But dynasty hype is king. And, you know, we had uh, Tim Kanak on last week and, you know, Tim would talk about when you're looking at like Otno leagues, Otno definitely has kind of a stock system element to it where you want to find the right proper time where you can get out. And almost everybody has a price to get out. Every dynasty is created differently. That has um, like arbitration and money systems. 
some leagues you can just keep guys forever, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a time where everybody can be sold. So we are going to put some focus on some players that Jesse has identified as cells in Dynasty. And we did positionally last week on the buy, so we're going to do the same on the cells this week, Jesse. So let's get right into it, and let's look at catchers. We have, we're going to focus more on the major league side. We do have a couple prospects, and this is an instant where I'm going to talk about the prospects, but let's start with your first dynasty sell at catcher. Sure. Uh, I guess at the outset, I want to say that you know, selling in dynasty is often context driven. You know, I think it's very obvious to say, oh, well, an aging player is a great sell because yeah. when, if they have a bad season, all of a sudden they're stuck plummets it craters because they're all you know they're in their mid 30s sometimes like freddie freeman right now for example you know he's 34 fairly safe profile generally but you know if he had a bad season if he started to go the way of joey Votto, i mean his stock in, in fantasy you know his value will just completely fall the floor will fall out so I don't really like to focus necessarily on aging players because I think it's obvious. You know, a lot of these players are going to be good sell yeah. cells. I mean, we're seeing that already with like Paul Goldschmidt. You know, his oh. value is cratered very quickly. You're you're an insane person. I literally was waiting <laughs> to jump in because I was literally going to bring up Paul Goldschmidt. You oh. read my mind mm-hmm. because you're exactly <laughs> right. He had a poor-ish season because of his age. He's tumbling as far as yep. value goes. I would argue. He's a huge buy. Expected yeah. stats through the roof tell a different story. Working at driveline, which can be, you know, blah, blah for some people. Oh, yeah. good driveline. But one of the things, it's just funny because I was, um, I, this was something that has stood out. I just wrote in the Fantasy Black Book, Joe Pizapios, which is out now. Everybody can go check out. We did some dynasty stuff in there. Actually did a dynasty mock with a breakdown. But Goldschmidt was one that stood out to me so much in my writing because you go and look and you see all these expected numbers. Now, we're kind of telling you a different story, but one thing you also saw was you could see that bat speed seemed like it was going away because hard hit numbers, I, if I'm remembering correctly from what I wrote, they sustained, but the launch angle dropped, and I think it dropped significantly. So in my brain, I started to just started to put together like maybe this, the bat speed was becoming a problem where all these underlying things worked in favor, and then wouldn't you know it, as I'm in the process of writing it, I find he's at driveline working on bat speed the exact same thing so this is just like a little tiny thing i'm adding and you'll add to it but it is so funny you brought him up because he's a prime example of what you were leading to yet sometimes those guys can actually be dynasty buys because that is cratered yes exactly i think goldschmidt's a good opportunity buy right now given that a lot of people will not he's typically drafted well outside the top 100 you know i think i still have him within my top 150 personally, uh, but I wouldn't be shocked to see people push him outside to top 200. I will tell you in dynasty leagues in practice, you know, when my rankings are basically uh, in a vacuum, right? They're context neutral. So, you know, in a vacuum, that's how I value him. But obviously if you're a rebuilding team, you're not placing any value on Paul Goldstreet totally. just about. So the number of people who are willing to buy him is very limited. So if there's someone willing to sell him, they're going to have a limited number of teams to even work with. So if you're one of those teams, you can often, you know, get a good value because there's just not much competition. That's a great, so that's just that's a really way great, that's a really great context point of knowing yeah. the market is a lot less for guys get 33 and over that market is much smaller to the buy now 
and coming off of a poor year, it just doesn't exist. And I didn't mean to make this about Paul Goldschmidt, but I thought it was a prime example. And I think your That's context great. is really important. So what people can know is this isn't going to be a list of 36-year-old guys and above no. that you're about to drop here. And this catcher sure isn't. No, it's uh, William Contreras. So he's 25-year-old. He's going to be 26 in a week. So, you know, he's a Christmas Eve baby. So happy soon-to-be birthday, William Contreras. But uh <laughs> You know, he's coming off a very strong season, very strong second half with the Brewers. Uh, you know, he had a 611 plate appearances, 17 home runs, 86 runs scored, 78 RBI, six stolen bases to go on top of it, and a 289 average. So he had a fantastic season, huge strides defensively too, which I think, you know, for fantasy, maybe that it matters only to the point that it's more likely he's going to stick a catcher long-term. It's almost a lock at this point. But my big concern is I'm seeing people draft ranking him as high as second among dynasty catchers behind Adley Rushman. Uh, I think that's a bit of a stretch for a few reasons, right? Yes, he has big power. His EVs are great, but he hits everything into the ground. His ground ball rate has consistently been astronomical. It's 55% last year. It's really difficult for players to change launch angle. It, it requires a lot of swing mechanical changes. And if he's putting more balls in the air, all of a sudden, that batting average is going to start to creep down. Because the more fly balls he hits, the less, the lower the batting average of balls in play will be. So there's a trade-off here. If you want that like 280, 290 average, it's going to come with a very much muted power production. But if you are trying to chase the power production because you see the underlying exit velocity data and the hard hit rates, then you're going to be disappointed because the average will go crashing down if he starts putting the ball more in the air. Um, so it's just a profile that I don't think it's, I think there's a very strong give and take here with him. I don't think that he's a player that has as much growth potential as some people maybe envision with him. And I'm still just concerned generally because I think there's still plenty of underlying swing and miss in his game. It took a step forward last year. His zone contact rate jumped five percentage points from 77.2% to 82.2%. And he's consistently had very poor contact rates throughout his career. Last year was basically an anomalous season. You know, are we going to expect him to maintain that moving forward? I think that's also a bit of a stretch. So I generally think it's a profile that has less growth potential and a lot of cratering potential. And I really don't like where he's being priced right now in dynasty. Uh, I do not think he's a top 100 dynasty player period. Uh, and I just would be out. I would be trying to sell right now. I know it's weird to sell someone who's about to be 26 at catcher. Who's coming off a career season in a favorable home park on a good offensive team, but I would be. Yeah. And uh, taking a look here, he ended up going in giving a shout out to Chris Clegg, who's doing some dynasty mock similar to my prospect ones uh, on the dynasty dugout. Contreras was the second catcher taken in dynasty overall in this mock, the, the one that I was a part of. And it's got a third, I'm sorry, third Will Smith ended up going, it looks like second. And he was a third. And this had, it's got some really good dynasty people just in my draft alone. What's interesting is he's the third catcher going in NFBC drafts this year, going ahead of Will Smith as well. I think uh, early season drafts are driving some of it. Age is driving some of it. Some of the changes are driving it, but I devalue catchers a little bit in Dynasty kind of in general. So paying the should. big price. Yeah, exactly. And 
projections are great. Steamer is projecting 25, 80, 80 with a 270 batting average and low strikeouts. That's yep. fine if that's the case. I'm not I, <laughs> with like similar to what you said. If those power numbers are going to rise, I think the batting average is going to suffer greater. And I'm really not sure with the team context, the running RBI numbers will be there. Either way, it's a pretty good opportunity not to be spending so much time here on catcher. You just do have one other really interesting name I want to throw as a sell. And I'm going to guess this is going to be about hype, which is understandable. But Ethan Solace is one that you threw here for Dynasty. Yes. Uh, so it's funny because I was talking about this pre-show is that I actually drafted Ethan Solace in the Prospect 1 draft. Uh, I think it was 21st overall. So I look, I really like Ethan Solace. I think what you're going to see this offseason is all the big national lists are going to come out. And he's going to be a top five prospect in all of baseball. And in typical dynasty leagues, and a lot of them that don't involve maybe more savvy owners, they're going to look at those lists and buy that hype in a big way. Look, he is 18. He's um, is he even 18 yet? He's not even 18 years old yet. He's not even 18 on opening day. He's, he's 17 years old. Catchers take a long time to develop. Yes, he's on a massively fast track, but it doesn't mean he's not, he's going to like start stagnating. You know, he's in double A. He's going to spend probably all year in double A, probably all year in triple A next year. Uh, yes, he'll still probably get to the majors early, but I'm just, I don't, catchers scare me in Dynasty, especially catching prospects for a lot of reasons. You know, Del Belmont's time is very lengthy for catching prospects. The attrition rate's very high. And when they get to the majors, as you've noted, uh, you know, catchers, they have muted production periods. So you're going to see flashy, you know, hit and power tools, maybe uh, from analysts for someone like Salas, but those are going to get muted at the pro level. I mean, just look at what Adley Rushman's doing. Fantastic player. But, and, you know, in, by all intents and purposes, it's a very clear plus hit tool with, you know, above average power, but it plays down in games because it's a long season and catchers just are not going to produce like other positions and they're not going to typically play every day either. Uh, so I just, Generally, I put Solace in a way there as a point of his age and also just catchers. I just, um, I don't like dynasty catchers at all um, for prospects. I would be fading them hard generally and I'd be selling them, especially when I see the hype building like it is with Solace. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people that followed me last year knew I, I was hype trained Ethan Solace. So we got Solace. You should it. be because he's great. <laughs> well, but, but also this is right around the time where it was Solace versus Felman. Everyone is kind of jaded about the J the well, J fifteen class now, mm-hmm. and everyone's just kind of dealing with that. And I loved everything I saw with Solace. The problem is where I was pushing him is, hey, let's get him top seventy five. Let's mm-hmm. don't be scared, get him. Now he's top twenty. And you referred to my uh, I have the prospect one P one eighty P mocks, which is over on my uh, in this league Patreon this week is posted the ADP. Well, the ADP of him is higher than you took him. It's inside the top twenty. So from a catcher value standpoint, here's a perspective I'll give you. He went at his, at their lows. He went, or, or I guess I should say at the highs. The highest he went, Ethan Salas, was one pick away from the lowest Jason Dominguez went. So for perspective, you could trade Ethan Salas pretty much as a one-for-one one to get Jason Dominguez. I'm a buyer of Jason Dominguez on the injury for this year. And there's a lot of other guys in the same general range that you could sell him for to get some pretty big stuff. He went the highest he went was 14 in one of the leagues I put together. And um, Yamamoto went after that. Now it's a pitcher, but if you're in win now versus there's just a lot of stuff you're going to be able to do with the hype. That's going to go around with Ethan Salas. And it's not going away anytime soon. 
Uh, moving over to first base, Christian Encarnacion Strand. He comes in. I, t- I stole you getting to announce him. What's interesting <laughs> is he absolutely jumps off the page of uh, of expected stats when you dig deeper. What the hard hit numbers, barrel percentage, and expected numbers did versus the production, but you have him as a sell. Yes, because I think his approach scares me to death. Um, you know, he is incredibly aggressive. Uh, he's going to swing all the time. And I don't really think that what we saw at the major league level is necessarily going to be something that we're going to see as being sus- as sustainable as I'd like, as you'd want to see out of a first base only prospect. You know, there's a lot of under, there's plenty of underlying swing and miss in this game as well with an aggressive approach. I mean, he's may not ride, you know, have massive strikeout numbers because he's swinging all the time. Uh, but I just don't love that type of profile. I think there's a lot of bust risk with him, especially on in, in an organization that has an absolute crowd in the infield right now. I mean, obviously they're likely to make a move, but even after they trade someone like Jonathan India, they're still going to have a crowd and they're going to have a lot of mouths to feed. And there's just going to be, if he struggles, there's going to be very little leash that he will have this year. I think he will go down in AAA if he struggles out the gate. And that scares me because once that happens, his dynasty value is going to crash. Uh, even if it's, you know, typical sophomore, you know, struggles, you know, we have to remember that's what happens typically with a lot of prospects, especially prospects that have scary approaches like Incarnacion Strand. And yeah, the power is big and he could be like Framil, early career Framil Reyes in a lot of ways. Like he could have that kind of like, he could have that kind of value generation, but I just don't love where he's going right now in Dynasty. I think it's some it's a point where there's a lot of first basemen in that range that I feel more comfortable with. And in redraft, for sure, there's a lot more first basemen that go around him in redraft that I feel more comfortable with. So I'd be trying to sell him right now, um, especially when there are people that I know and really respect that love him and are hyping him to the ceiling. So... I mean, yeah, he hits in a great park. I don't really think Great American Ballpark helps players as much, like Incarnacion Strand as much as maybe others think because the power will play anywhere. It helps those borderline guys that have borderline power. The like Spencer, Spencer Steer. Steer. Yeah, yeah, we did it. Look it at that. We didn't even like plan that. it. Yeah, yeah so it doesn't really time. help players like Incarnacion Strand. So I don't really – I mean, yeah, he could hit 30 home runs. He could also hit like 220. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love it. I think what's so important, it's so funny. We both run here. We're, we're just going to do this the whole show. We're going we to be <laughs> best friends. Yep. <laughs> what's what's interesting about that is, or the, the two important things you said is his approach with the level of talent that that team has is a bit of a risk. I do think a lot of the underlying stuff tells a story of a hitter that can put up 35 homers and, you know, yeah. can be a middle of the order type of guy, but the wiggle room does feel a little bit less, you know, they were playing him. They played him in some third last year in spring training and they just did defensively. I mean, that was why he was held down too defensively. You know, you're kind of stuck. Luckily they have a DH spot open, but if you go through some struggles, they have so many pieces there that they can move you in and out, especially if they still do have India. So there's a little bit of risk there. Take what we said before, too. You could probably get Goldschmidt plus for Strand in a dynasty league or find a perfect marriage between a team that is trying to rebuild and a win-now team. If you have the opposite ends, you could find some homes for that and more plus more because that's not really even necessarily capitalizing on it for CES. Number two, 
uh, or I guess the second base, number two, the second base option you have here, I think screams Christian Encarnacion Strand at second base, except I don't know if there's viable options here, but talk to us about your second base sell in Dynasty. Uh, it's Zach Giloff, second baseman for the Athletics. I So he, I think, is probably an ob- sort of an obvious sell. I think there's going to be a few that I'm going to talk about tonight that should probably be obvious sells. I'm not really seeing it uh, in in, my, in the industry. I'm not seeing it in practice. I think people are trying to buy, buy, buy. Because for one, look, he legit has power and speed. The, the speed is very real. I think it's re- more real than anyone ever gave it credit, him credit for as a prospect. I mean, last year between triple and triple A and major leagues, he hit 34 stolen bases on 41 attempts. And the data all supports it. I mean, he can fly and he's a great base runner. He's had a massive track record of stolen bases. So I believe the speed. I think he definitely has a chance to be a 20 stolen base threat easy this year. And the power is pretty solid, right? He's not going to necessarily jump off the page with the EVs, but he's come been on record saying that he doesn't look, he can hit the ball really hard. He doesn't look to necessarily hit the ball into the stratosphere. He said, he's said that, you know, I could hit it 110 or I could hit 105 and it's still a home run, you know, so there isn't much of a difference there. It just helps him, you know, kind of pick his spots. So he's a savvy hitter, but the big issue I've had with him, and it's an ongoing issue, is the, there is a massive amount of underlying swing and miss. His zone contact rate was 75.5%, or around 75% last year. Um, actually, I think it was a little lower than that, uh, which is terrible. I mean, that's very much below average. I think there's just a scary amount of swing and miss. He's fairly aggressive hitter that is not necessarily the, doesn't necessarily thrive with like massive amounts of play discipline either. Uh, I think there's just a very real risk that the average completely craters and falls on like through the floor. Um, yeah, there's power speed. That's nice. And he's going to have a lot of runway with the athletics, but you know, pe- some people are ranking him or valuing him as a top 100 dynasty player. And if that's the case, I think you try and sell because I just don't think, I think the risk is too high given his underlying swing and miss. Yeah. And for perspective, when you were talking about the zone contact percentage, Spencer Torkelson, who hit like 212, he had an XBA of like 232, had like around an 85% zone contact percentage. So just like you're running the perspectives of like, you know, there's a guy that has higher expected stats that had a bad batting average. And then you're going to take, um, you know, a higher early performance to really bad zone contact percentage. That's worrisome. You know, chase rate, worry, it's worrisome. He's a counting stats guy, but he doesn't have like Matt McLean is a pretty common player that you're either on one or two sides. You're like, wow, he well overperformed and he would be a sell or, Hey, listen, he's just scratching the surface, but, um, he's one of those guys that has more floor as far as his profile than a guy like Geloff. So uh, I, I, I agree with this one moving over to third base. We are getting to a little bit of an older name. We've had some young focus names, but we are focused on a player that is going to come into the uh, season injured. So your sell at third base. It's Manny Machado. (laughs) He's uh, going, he's 31 years old now. And, you know, we've had, many, many years of consistent 30 home run production, including last year. Uh, so I just think it's time. He's This is a profile that's screaming massive amounts of regression. Obviously, last year, he took a step back offensively. Um, I think generally, there's just a lot of underlying stuff 
stuff here with Machado that's scary, including the injury. Uh, I think the skills are trending down. The home park is not favorable. And you know, this may be one of the last opportunities to buy before he falls well outside the top 100 in Dynasty because next year he'll be 32. And, uh, you know, as these players age further into their 30s, there's, their values just consistently go down unless absent certain extraordinary circumstances. And I'm just very leery of where Machado is going to be, especially coming off a very serious injury and uh, surgery. And I just, uh, it's, it's a guy that I'm just off right now altogether. Yeah, he had two things. So, and you meant sell. You said buy, but you meant the last oh, opportunity to yes. sell. You know, he had the wrist, I think it was fracture at the beginning of the year. And then he just underwent like, um, I think it was like a tennis elbow type of surgery yeah. uh, in the off season. You don't love that. You don't love those types of surgery. Sure, they could clean everything up and we can get good to go. I lean a little bit more into the buy category, but this I think this one is a, is a fine line. It's like if he is being held at the top, 30 or 35 standard, then I think he's being overvalued and you might be able to consolidate and make, if you could get, I mean, I don't know how you personally, but if you could get Royce Lewis for Manny Machado in dynasty, I would yeah, well, want course, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying like in some leagues, there might be that mentality where those don't quite equate even CJ Abrams for all of his negatives or positives, whichever way you look at it, Abrams might not be in some of that similar value as Machado. Uh, so that that it's an inter- interesting side where you end up taking this. And uh, you've taken this to another really interesting spot at shortstop. And we're actually going to focus on two of them. I'm going to focus on the top guy, though. This is the major league player. This is the biggest name we are going to talk about of any player in the dynasty sells today. So it's shortstop is who? Trey Turner. Uh, all right. So he's 30 years old now. Uh, a 30-year-old speedster. A uh, player who relies a lot of his value is derived from his speed. It's just scary. Once players hit their 30s, they typically start slowing down. It's it's very clear. There's a ton of evidence for that. Obviously, he's still incredibly fast, but he's also you know hitting behind Kyle Schwarber in that Phillies lineup. And so the opportunities to steal bases are limited anyway. So he just is going to have less opportunity to use his speed. The biggest concerns I have with Trace Herner are the declining contact rates. Uh, I am always trying to pay attention to contact rates because I think that they are very crucial for players like Turner who do rely on a healthy amount of contact. Uh, his his whiff rate jumped almost to 30% last year. His zone contact rate was a career low at 82.2%. And uh, he was, of course, disastrous for the most part, for the first half of the season, just that final hot stretch to end the season kind of completely saved his season. But, you know, if that cold stretch lasted longer, which it could in the future, you're going to see a player who could really see his value completely crash and burn. And that is my biggest concern with Trey Turner. You know, I think the power and speed expectations should be more limited than what we've seen from him over the past past three years or so and with the declining contact rates he's not going to hit for the averages that he's has hit for in the past you know last year hit 266 you know i think something 
along those lines is what I would generally expect from him moving forward. So I just think it's a, it's just a scary profile for me. You know, he's still being drafted very high in redraft. I think then dynasty generally, you're going to see a lot more, a lot of hype still with him. And I think he's a def, he's a player that I would 100% fade even more in OBP formats. He's a player that I don't think people fade enough in OBP formats because he's, you know, a very aggressive hitter. He typically has, you know, about 50 percentage point differential between his average and OVP, which means he just has far less impact in OVP formats generally. Um, so I would be, I'm getting off of Turner. I don't dislike Turner. Um, it always depends on the value you can get up for him. But if he's getting valued as like a borderline top 20 dynasty asset, I would be selling hard. You know, a move I made in redraft and I'm posting my uh, redraft ranks are posting this week on in this league and they'll be over on uh, fantasy pros uh, probably right around the same time is I'm with Corey Seager above Trey Turner in uh, redraft leagues. And I know that might not feel popular because of stolen bases, but there are a few bats to me that are worthwhile sacrificing stolen bases for. And Corey Seager is one of them. And I made that move. And when you're talking about Trey Turner's value not even trying to compare Seeger and him but like you could make a you could probably get a Jackson Holiday Plus deal done and I know like I know those are going to feel relatively similar in similar in like true dynasties funny enough in the uh the Clegg dynasty draft I was in Turner went 2-8 and Jackson Holiday went 2-9 so it's not unfeasible to, uh, feasible to think that like you could get a plus move on a win now team that doesn't you know that thinks they're selling on the hype of Jackson Holiday if you have some fear. So that is uh, Trey Turner in there. Yeah, Turner's average draft position on those in those drafts was 20.1. So, you know, if he's being valued at that, that and this is an OBP draft, mind you, right? Uh, he should not be a top three player, period, in OBP in my mind. And even in regular standard five by five, I would not take him that high at 20. So I just, yeah, at his current value, people are still like in love with the name value. They're not recognizing, in my mind, what's clear decline, so I'm off. The uh, the other one I want to mention, by the way, the, the next three, it's all going to be fun because Jesse is just absolutely crapping on everybody's excitement hype, so I love it. <laughs> but the reason we're going to do this one real quick, just a quick one on this, is he showed up in the buy episode last week where Tim Kanak is buying Jordan Lawler. You're selling. I am. And again, I want to say it really depends on context because – uh, I think that if you're if people are valuing him as like a top five prospect, I think you sell. But I've seen him being drafted outside of like top ten in a lot of these drafts, and I've actually gotten shares of Lawler because of where his value has been. It's been just like very reasonable, way outside the top one hundred. Um, I will buy it all day at that value, but you know I think that if you're valuing him as like a top uh, seventy, top sixty uh, dynasty asset or player i think that that is way too high um now his average draft position in those mocks is 88 uh that's not bad honestly i think that's not bad but my biggest concern with lawler is i think that there is not as much impact as i think some people expect or think there is there uh the evs are far from impressive i mean they're basically borderline honestly i mean the top end evs are close to average but generally on the whole his evs just don't jump off the page there's just not a ton of power he's not a very big guy either he's a speedster i think that if you have the expectation to think that maybe he could be trey turner 
which is what I kind of think he could see be like Trey Turner. Obviously, there's massive risk there still. Um, then that's fine. I think that that's a fine expectation to still have with Lawler because I do really like the hit tool. I think it's something that some, I think that's, it's interesting because you see so much mixed opinion about his hit tool, but he does have a very solid plate approach. He makes a lot of contact, but I really question where the impact will ultimately lie. And, uh, you know, that kind of scares me away. Yeah. And I think that's where the risk is. I, I think it's too early to process who he's going to be and where he's mm-hmm. going to be, but you can, obviously you have to look at the data that's been there. He has a wildly successful minor league career. Uh, mm-hmm. He did really great in, um, in the Arizona fall league when he was here, but there's been some injuries. He's there's definitely some questionable power stuff that's out there. He's an aggressive base runner though. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes yeah, and maybe really very real. Yeah. I, I've always thought he could be a poor man's Bobby Witt, And I think that's the best case scenario. But it might be instead of 30-50 like Bobby Witt, it's like 20-30 with a 250-260 batting average. And that might be the high. And that that is what you would bank on. That's what you would bank on him being like a top 60 or 70 player if you believe that's going to be the case. And the hit tool does speak to it. All right, last two. This is what I was talking about. Any of that hype you're getting for this season, it's going to go out the window as Jesse is going to take your favorite outfielder and say, (laughs) no, he is a sell. So let's hear it. Uh, Nolan Jones, uh, which again, I'm going to say is interesting since I did draft him in that, uh, Clegg mock, but it was an OVP mock. I really do still think Nolan Jones, he's just got far more valuable in OBP formats generally. So my big concerns with him are similar to what you, what I said with Giloff. The contact is incredibly scary. Uh, the zone contact for Nolan Jones was 71.5%. This past year in the major league level, uh, I think that that contact rate married with his you know patient approach is just a recipe for massive amounts of strikeouts. Um, I think you know a three true outcomes player. If you have that expectation, that's perfectly fine. But I think that he also had the highest batting average of balls in play of any player at the major league level last year, uh, with like 300 plate appearances or something. It was over 400. You know, I think you have to very heavily uh, regress his batting average. I think if the batting average falls 50 points, I think that is, you know, would it be a good day, honestly? If he's hitting 247 or 250, I'd be happy with that production. But I think many people might not be. And I think that some projections that I'm seeing, the earlier projections, I think are a little bit too positive with his batting average now i get the course field effect the course field effect gives you inflated batting average your balls in play and you're going to hit for a higher average generally that means you're going to be putting balls in play which is the big problem with nolan jones because he like i said i think there's a real chance that we could see you know easily 40 percent of his play appearances are strikeouts or walks or more i could see that very easily and that means He's putting balls, less balls in play, which means he's not taking advantage of the course field effect as much as he as you want to see players take advantage of. It's like Ezekiel Tofar, be as aggressive as you want. Put those balls in play. Uh, you're not going to see that from Nolan Jones. Now, the power is very real. I really do buy the speed breakout in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, I think there's a chance he's a 2020 player, but like Zach Giloff, he might be a 2020 player who hits – you know, 230, 240. I 100% agree. I do not believe the average is at a high, high level. I think this is like, a, uh, and I don't want to say Schwarber, but I, I think the levels of average to OBP could be similar. I think this is like yeah. 
240 on a good year with like a 380 OBP. Like that's the type of guy that he can be, which is great for OBP leagues, but yeah. standard head-to-head roto leagues, I just don't think the average is going to get there. And I think that's yeah. what makes him tough. Yeah, I think in OBP, I really actually like his value, but I think in standard, uh, like average five by five leagues, I do not. Final one. How about a pitcher? And how about a pitcher that everybody is excited about? I'm going to be honest with you. The, the more I've dug in for this year, I think the hype makes all the sense and I want to buy. It is a little alarming uh, when I see his rank or I do a show with Scott White and he talks about Tariq Skubal, who I'm going to break here. But I, uh, I, I I feel like I know the general consensus of where you're going to go as far as hype, but tell us why you are selling Tariq Skubal in Dynasty. Well, the hype's wild. Uh, you like, know, he's wild, 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 wild. Uh, his average draft position, I believe in redraft, is like top 50, uh, which is crazy wild to me um scott had him at at sp9 yeah uh you know we have to remember last year he didn't throw many innings so you know how many innings are going to be allowed he's going to be even allowed to throw this year i think it's an open question you know i think that maybe 150 uh you know i think if you're expecting him to go like 180 this year i think that is uh hoping it's kind of like a little bit too optimistic in my mind now, there's a lot to like with Tariq Skubal, and I do like him a lot. I think that if he's being drafted and redrafted as a top 50 player, that means in a lot of dynasty formats, he's going to be potentially drafted as like a top 40 player uh, because he's much younger than a lot of the pitchers that would typically be drafted ahead of him. Uh, you know, he, of course, was fantastic in his debut. All right, so his average draft position in these uh, dynasty dugout ADP was uh, 62. Uh, so... You know, that's where we're seeing him right now, generally in Dynasty. So my big problem with Scooball is I really don't like his fastball. <laughs> uh, his fastball is um, something that he was actually known for when he was coming up as a prospect. But his fastball shape is not good. What made it more viable this past year is his big velocity gains. Uh, you know, he, his fastball velocity jumped like 1.5 miles an hour uh, coming off of, you know, serious arm injury. and how he's whether he's going to be able for one maintain that type of velocity over a full season and two actually be as successful as he was i think is really questionable i think given the fastball shape i i don't even know if it's an average pitch and that you know if you look at stuff plus grades for his fastball it's below average uh it's you know a borderline pitch i think it's better than i think what stuff plus is giving it credit for but still not, just not it, it punches way below its velocity. Its average velocity last year was 95.8 miles an hour. His uh, sinker was 95.9. Where I do think I really like Scoop, and I think where he can shine, is his changeup is fantastic. I've, all, I've been a fan of his changeup since he kind of was able to retool it in 20, I believe it was 2020, what year was that? 2021? Uh, or was it 2020? It was 2022. Where he, re- oh. where he legitimately retooled his changeup, no like it was a new pitch. Um, I really loved it that year, and it's it's been as good, if not better, than that this year, uh, this past year. So I really do think the changeup's good. I think the changeup's going to allow the fastball to play a lot better than it than it really is in actuality. Uh, he made a lot of strides with his slider. His slider is profiling a lot better now. Uh, it's missing bats at a much better rate too. Uh, but and- <laughs> the big butts coming here, but let's see. <laughs> but, but the fastball is just not, I think going to be a successful pitch and it scares me. And I think that if you, 
if he if the fastball velocity comes down to even what it was before, I think we're just going to see a much different pitcher. It's still going to be a quality arm, mind you, but I think he's not a top 50 guy. Who would you rather have in Dynasty, Grayson Rodriguez or Scooball? Oh, Grayson Rodriguez, easy. Kodai easy. Senga or Scooball? Scooball. You know what? Interesting is both went ahead of Drake Scooball in the mocks that we're yep. referencing here. So yeah. very, very interesting. His hype is at the biggest that I can recall, but uh, do as you will. Those are some dynasty buys from Jesse Roach. Follow him on Twitter at J-A Roach, R-O-C-H-E-6. You can also catch him over at Baseball uh, Prospectus. What's going on? What uh, what do you got to plug here? What do you got going on in the near future? Uh, pods, writing, what's happening? Uh, right now we're doing the top 10 or the top top prospect lists uh, for each team. And I'm adding the fantasy takes for each of the players, including a reckless comp for each player that I try Ooh, to like, yes. I spent a lot of time on. It's weird. You're know, coming through um, baseball players. Who did you last, just like, do? 20 years. What team did you just do? Uh, I just did the Brewers. All right. Give me your reckless comp for Cooper Pratt. We actually, so he wasn't in their top 10. So I only do the top blasphemous, 10. Blasphemous. <laughs> blasphemous. They don't have Cooper Pratt in their top 10. I mean, honestly, I agree. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't make their rankings. It's a, uh, you know, real life based rankings, but like their bottom, their number 10 was Daniel Giarte. And I wouldn't put him in top 10, for example. No, but, Cooper uh, Pratt's got to be above him. What was, <laughs> do you recall like one of the most ridiculous comps you gave? Your reckless comp of any of anybody? Well, I guess on the Brewers, I think Jackson Trio could be another Julio Rodriguez. Uh, oh, I think that's... That? Uh, then I have like Jefferson Cuero is uh, Jan Gomes. So <laughs> I, <love laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call that reckless, but it just shows you catching prospects, man. Don't yeah. expect a lot from them. <laughs> no, and Quero got a bunch of hype. Uh, Jesse Roach, Baseball Prospectus. Follow him on Twitter. One of the best. He's a must-follow in the Dynasty world. Thank you so much for hanging with us and giving us players to sell here in Dynasty. Thanks a lot, man. And there you go. Thank you to Jesse Roach for taking the time to join me in talking about all those sell some great names. Some I agree, some I disagree, and that's all good. You guys can let us know what you think. Always over in the Discord. You can tweet at me, at is it the Welsh Fantasy Pros, all of that great stuff. And hopefully, as we are doing this episode right before Christmas, have a fantastic holiday. We will probably have one episode off next week with the Christmas week, and then we will be kicking it hard in 2024. I got a full schedule of stuff on the docket, one of which being a mock draft that I will be uh, putting together and we'll be breaking down. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you miss none of the episodes. Follow me on Twitter at is it the Welsh. And thank you all for hanging at the Fantasy Pros Dynasty Baseball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Pros Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you love the show, the best free way to support us is by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow us on X, Instagram, and TikTok at Fantasy Pros. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash fantasy pros MLB. 